a friend of a friend podcast, a conversation between friends about race and dot dot dot. I'm Nikki. I'm Austin. I'm Reggie. And I'm Brian. Today we're going to be talking about race and the Underground Railroad. We realized in the last episode that we failed to discuss why our podcast is called A Friend of a Friend. Yeah, A Friend of a Friend. Yeah. And, and so we thought we might uh, talk about that a little bit, and it has a lot to do with the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I never realized this, so I, I want to kind of preface this with saying that we are not local historians, and what we are discussing uh, may or may not be 100% accurate. So uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we, when we were talking about uh, coming up with a name, we wanted to make something that... Uh, both talked about us as a group, but also talked about some of the uh, history in Rochester that is uh, a really rich history. And uh, this this Underground Railroad here in Rochester, uh, something that I didn't realize before, has a lot to do with geography. So the geography of Rochester mm-hmm. being right on the Genesee River, and the Genesee River being one of the very few rivers that flows due north mm-hmm. in the country. Yes. And so this this provided a way of transportation for uh, people to get on a boat, go north, cross the lake, and get to Canada. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, well, the still I still have not addressed a friend of a friend. Does anyone want to? <laughs> does anyone want to tell us why we are a friend of a friend? Well, I I'll go. I Great. I can. Nikki here. I'll um, so so my kind of, of thought about the the title of the podcast is um, so a friend of a friend is one of the phrases or passwords used along the the railroad um, as people traveled um, no, well north and west and it was it actually wasn't just a north but we can talk about that um, the so so a friend of a friend was um as as people came to specific spots um along their their the 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 secret uh path to freedom um as they approached uh certain certain houses or or people that was what they would say is are you a friend of a friend and um and it was um it was kind of their uh, their entryway into freedom and so my my uh my thought about about this this podcast specifically and and naming it that is that it's um i believe us being in this this cross cultural multicultural conversation is um is also uh you know just this useful tool to um to i don't know if it's i i think it's about freedom but it's about moving the conversation along and and um you know just part of of the fabric of what is breaking down some of the racism in you know in, in our small community and um so I, it just kind of symbolizes uh you know people black people or people of color or whatever however people want to identify themselves and white people working together to break something down that is that is really you know just uh, a poison of our community and so uh it's yeah. something that always stood out to me um when i think about the history of the underground railroad and just how uh 
just dangerous and scary and you know all the things that, that kind of happened in, in the process mm-hmm. as I've learned and about it um, it just always stood out to me that you know how brave someone must have been to, to go to this strange white person and say you know are you a friend of a friend and yeah yeah, yes. yeah. And, and so um, and I, I believe I have a strong belief that that the the racism ends with um, white people and black people having, you know, um, bonds and conversations and, and, you know, so that, that's kind of where I rest with it. So that's my kind of choppy, um, you know, choppy kind of, uh, thinking out loud. Wow. I think that's a great explanation. Yeah. But great yeah. explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. As you were speaking, the word that came to my mind was risk. Mm. It was mm-hmm. a risk on the part of primarily the, um, the Unitarian and, Society of Friends who were heavily involved in the railroad, the Underground Railroad, mm-hmm. and of course the persons who were enslaved and their risk uh, leaving the plantation, uh, either being returned and beaten severely mm-hmm. or actually lose their lives. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for the, the people who conducted the railroad, yep. uh, the Friends of the Friends. <clears throat> the risk of maybe if they weren't... Um, bodily harm then say for instance a person was a merchant or some other business it could easily turn that the uh, people who were pro-slavery could stop uh, doing business with them and, mm-hmm. and just literally run them out of business or out of town so and i think that's what we're trying to say today is that change involves risk mm-hmm. it has to be a risk taken mm-hmm. so. absolutely mm-hmm. And, and I, I understand the estimate of uh, slaves that used the Underground Railroad to get to freedom is, is over 100,000. Yeah, I've read something along yeah. those numbers, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what fascinated me in, in researching some of this was how little information there is, and mostly because there, there weren't a lot of it wasn't recorded most of the information we have is, is either oral or mm-hmm. uh, a lot of writings from frederick Douglass. who uh, if if you're listening to this and don't know that frederick Douglass spent a lot of his time here in rochester uh frederick Douglass is really important to the area mm-hmm. uh as, as as is his wife which wife anna is it anna yeah. anna murray Douglass. yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and Brian, to that point, um, that that um, just by by need to protect, you know, the people involved. That's so. My understanding is that a lot of the history couldn't be recorded um, because people needed to be protected, and so um, so there there is some some of that. And and as a result of that, what tends to happen is the the history that we tend to see is from the perspective of the people who were allowed to record it. Right, which was right. was yeah. the mm-hmm. white people involved, and so so in that sense, we tend to have this um, you know really framed history of of you know um, white heroes, um, which is true, but but the the people who are also heroes of of the Underground Railroad um, could not by by default of who they were in the United States at that time not free. Um, you know, um, purposely uneducated. You know. Um, you know, kept out of all the systems, so they could only tell their story versus record by by and large. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did read about one story. Um, a lady from um, actually Southwest 
um, part of Rochester name was Amy Post. Mm -hmm. She befriended an unescaped slave woman named Harriet Jacobs and actually helped her write an autobiography in 1861 called The Life of a Slave Girl. Um, so that is, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, it's more uh, uh, white history of that, but that is one example of here locally where you see a friend of a friend mm -hmm. <laughs> working with someone to help them write their story, which I think is really beautiful. I've not read it, um, but I, I, it's one of the little tidbits that I picked up um, um, looking to see what, how yeah. the impact of the Southwest Rochester had. Mm -hmm. well, and Harriet Jacobs' story is really interesting. Uh, she actually hid in a room in her grandmother's attic for seven years mm -hmm. uh, before escaping from North Carolina and round up here in Rochester for a year uh, and and was drawn there was this draw to the flower city uh, partially because of uh, the stories of many who were successful in escaping mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and most of them went through the Douglas residence mm. uh, because he was one of the main stops on this underground railroad here in Rochester and his wife Anna at the time uh, she was always home and was feeding uh, the freedom seekers. Mm. Um, now, so so Jacobs happened to be one of these people passing through that home, and uh, hear, hearing this history and seeing it so uh, vibrant in our in our community is like it's awesome. I just mm -hmm. I I just can't even fathom how what this must have been like during during this time. Um, mm -hmm. and I never realized too, um, the, the other Harriet, not Harriet Jacobs, but Harriet Tubman, uh, who was here, um, after escaping her slave owner in Maryland, um, I didn't realize that she worked with Frederick Douglass in some capacity for a period of time here in Rochester. Mm -hmm. Does anyone she, know any more about that? She did. They were both involved with the, uh, African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church which um, started in the late 18th century in New York City uh, as a result of um, the Methodist Episcopal Church uh, not allowing full participation in the service. Uh, in other words, the black worshipers, even though they were quote-unquote freed people, had to either sit in the balcony or um, stay outside to listen to the service through the windows. And... Um, of course, in Philadelphia, the same story with Richard Allen starting the AME Church. So, yeah, both uh, Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass. I think I'm correct in saying that Frederick Douglass was a licensed exhorter, like a licensed minister with the AME Zion Church. Uh, although I think in later years, he kind of leaned toward being uh, an agnostic uh, in some of his public speeches and writings. So, um, at least publicly amusing or wondering um, and I think a lot of that was given what he witnessed, both as a, an enslaved person and as a free person. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that kind of boggles my mind is when I look and read of the history of Rochester and its involvement in the Underground Railroad, uh, its involvement in the women's suffrage movement, it seems so drastically different from the Rochester that I see in 2019. Preach. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't yeah. see the same kind of coalition. I don't see the same uh, willingness to take a risk. <laughs> uh, there seems to be a, 
an almost 180 degree turn from the way the city was pretty much founded. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I have no idea as to why that's the case. I mean, I have some, maybe some wild guess, but um wondering if anybody else might thought about something along those lines or how did we go from freedom city to being probably the most segregated right. <laughs> city in New York state. I find this really fascinating as well. And, um, and I think some of it has to do with uh, the way that we drew district lines and, and how we've separated, um, especially in the Brighton area of Rochester and how, you know, looking at some of the older maps, a lot of that used to be, at least back in the 1800s when it was Rochesterville, a lot of that used mm-hmm. to be part of Rochesterville. And um, I always wonder how much... Uh, white supremacy and structural racism went into redrawing a lot of our lines uh, as a start to what you're talking about, Reggie. Mm -hmm. Well, I do think about the the risks that these people took. I mean, one of the risks was that the people that were part of the Quaker meeting were, were so vocal about abolitionism that the ministers at the time said, you can't be vocal about it. So they left. I mean, to leave a faith tradition, like, that's a huge, maybe not risk, but that's a huge deal. And so, Austin, willing... can, I, can I just ask really quick? So, so abolitions, abol- abolitionist Quakers left the Quaker faith? They left, they left the local meeting. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it said, one of the things I read, it said, although the Quakers thought slavery was sinful, many of the ministers and elders disapproved of the method, the methods used by the radical anti-slavery reformers and looked in disfavor upon their own members who agreed with these methods. So then they ended up leaving. Oh, like, wow. like mm-hmm. would we be willing to do that today? You know, are we willing to stand up, you know, against injustice, even within our faith communities? Like that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like yeah. what, 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 where did that come from? Why, you know, why were they willing to, you know, like you said, like their business is their livelihood. Mm-hmm. Are we willing to put like our livelihood on the line for, for justice issues like that? Right. I mean, I want to say yes, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, clearly, structurally, the answer is no. Right. If we're right. talking about where we are at today. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and interesting both questions, because actually, as I was was reading up on this and refreshing and learning a lot of different things also. Um, that was what was on my mind a lot is just how brave everybody involved. Everybody. Everybody. Because um, I, I, right. Like, I, I feel like we don't tend to see that level of bravery. Like even the, even the, um, even the, um, the word is escaping me now, but the people, the friends of the friends, the people who, who, um, you know, helped along the way, um, who kept records of like, that risk, you know, like just the, the right. yeah, like it, it just, all of it was just so, um, incredibly brave and, and in a time when, um, law and order was quite different, right? Like, right. like people, like I was reading one of, um, I, I read this one article about, um, actually exclusively about Harriet Tubman, um, the Moses of the people. And it really drew this history of, um, how, um, a lot of her, her, um, trips back and forth um, from south to north, south to north, and how um, you know people were being hunted, 
you know, right. literally hunted and, and they would, you know, it was just this whole network of communication, of brave communication of people um, learning that, you know, there was posters out and people were hunting them and they had descriptions and the, the um, you know, the, the slave masters and, and, and whoever they were, you know, on the hunt and and towns ahead of them. So they would, um, like, like Brian talked about with, with Harriet Jacobs, they would then go into hiding for sometimes weeks at a time and not know right. and, and, and still escaped, still escaped to freedom. And so the people were so dedicated to, to, um, help them secure their freedom. Um, and, and so, right. I, I, I share all that to say, I, the, what I was reading about in, in terms of just the bravery and the risk, I, I can't fathom in this, current time i just i i don't think we see that currently and i i I don't know that i I don't know what to make of it but that was um really on my mind that 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 like where is this today and And i would think today would be such a great place to see that uh i mean with all that's going on uh especially on the federal level i mean we were talking about this the other night why is there not we watch you know, like the old movies like Malcolm X and um, uh, name any, any, anything historical where you have an uprising. Where is our uprising? Where is it? And why isn't it happening? Well, I think the Quakers were, this is just my own kind of hypothesis, were committed because their faith uh, de-emphasized personal gain. Mm. Part part of their tenets was to lead to lead a kind of a simple life, Puritan. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and and they they weren't so concerned about amassing um, wealth, and uh, not to say there weren't wealthy Quakers, uh, but the tenets of the of the religion de-emphasized gaining. So it was easier to live your faith if you're not concerned about. The square footage of your home mm-hmm. at that time, I guess, have driving the, the best carriage or wearing the finest tailor-made suit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it seems like we have, as a society, moved toward personal uh, wealth, personal gain over community. It's individualism. Yeah. Individualism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's 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 the ethos. It's 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 mm-hmm. what grounds us. I mean, it's. Where do you live? Your zip code, your address, your and it's promoted on every level from on every the place to yes. the churches to right. mm-hmm. uh, you know yes inner inner family relationships that this individualism is promoted. Um, I know we experience it with our children who are um, people around us are promoting like well, what what are you doing for them personally and and you know it just. It's it's so ingrained in our mm-hmm. society and in our culture, and and, and it's really hard to uh, to combat every day. Mm-hmm. Every well, day. yeah, one has to <clears throat> create almost a counterculture, I think, uh, mm-hmm. that reinforces that the human worth is not um, connected to uh, net worth. I mean, money, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. money and busyness, right? Right. Yeah. One of the things I was reading was a lot of the the people locally that were a part of these movements, the the Quakers and the Unitarians, they were raised in these faith traditions. If you look back, the the first two Christian faith communities, denominations that called out slavery 
were the Mennonites and the Quakers. And I think there mm. is something to be said about being raised in a faith tradition that values community over individualism. And I think when you're raised in a family and a community that values that, that changes so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, think, I, I think that's agree. spot on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how interesting. I, um, not, not, to, not to derail this, because I want to get back to this in a second, um, but uh, highlighting uh, one of the other uh, local areas that was, that was of great significance uh, during the Underground Railroad, uh, have you all been to Kelsey's Landing? Uh, at the Maplewood Rose Garden? It's right near Lower Falls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, on the Genesee River. And uh, this was like the main departure point uh, for escaping slaves bound for freedom uh, to Canada. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, it's, it's quite a spot if, if, if you haven't been. I, I want to recommend everybody to go there. And this ties in a little bit with what you were saying starting this conversation is why aren't we where we should be now? And, and a lot of it in my mind has to do with this disconnect to our history. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, I think sometimes going to these places and reading these stories and uh, putting yourself in that place and, and almost, you know, kind of meditating on this and being present and thinking about what this would have actually been uh, can really connect us to um, the historical context of this and, and, uh, automatically bring us to a place of what does this mean for today? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm, maybe maybe there are some people doing that, uh, but I know a, a lot of my friends and coworkers, uh, if I were to say Kelsey's Landing, they'd have no idea what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's we could walk there from where, where our office is. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I find that really interesting. Um, so uh, I wondered if I could... Uh, just read a quote that was written by Frederick Douglass uh, at Kelsey's Landing um, here in Rochester. And uh, and I, I think some of this ties into what, what we're talking about mm-hmm. here. So There was a danger that between my house and the landing, or at the landing itself, we might meet with trouble. As patiently as I could, I wanted for the shades of night to come on, And then I put the men in my Democrat carriage and started for the landing on the Genesee. It was an exciting ride and somewhat speedy withal. We reached the boat at at least 15 minutes before the time of its departure, and that without remark or molestation. But those 15 minutes seemed much longer than usual. I remained on board until the order to remove the gangplank was given. I shook hands with my friends and returned home with a sense of relief, which I cannot stop here to describe. Hmm. Powerful words. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just... We could read Douglas all day, right? Oh, certainly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh Um, And what I find is just... I mean, the tears well up, and it's like... Mm -hmm. uh, I I wish there was some sort of... uh, requirement for everybody that lives in this city to read Douglas or to connect with a space that Douglas was in or an important historical place. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you, how you do that, but. Well, certainly it should be part of a local curriculum for, for schools. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be a, 
an ideal place in, in my mind to start is mm-hmm. is getting uh, even lower grades involved in the history. And I think it's important that when we teach or present the history, and this is going to sound odd, but it's not presented as black history, but as history. Amen. And I say that because black history, in my mind, uh, connotes a kind of, well, this is not really our history, but their history, Mm -hmm. Um, meaning the, the larger community, the majority community could easily walk away from lessons that way okay it's it's nice to hear something about douglas uh douglas was an american citizen <laughs> um yes he was african-american yes he was black uh, <clears throat> but you know the default button needs to be changed that mm-hmm. you know he's an american <laughs> and not when we say american think of white history mm-hmm. because that's what i was taught and i started school in the early 70s in the deep south and, yeah, that's right and history was that and then black history was other or native american history or women's history um so basically when we say history it's white male heterosexual affluent individualist <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> college educated yeah. right mm-hmm. and the list goes on and on mm-hmm. but it it uh, excludes so many other people mm-hmm yeah. You know, what you're saying really makes me think of what Austin was saying um, about community over individualism. Uh, and, and you know, I, I really appreciate the uh, Anabaptist traditions and the Quakers and the Mennonites. But one thing that I, that I think we've left out of this conversation is the fact that uh, the communal, non-individualistic tradition, um, this was something that had been practiced by uh, black people for centuries and when we ripped them from their countries and brought them here we were ripping that community yes. orientation out and forcing them into individualistic ideas and there was a black theologian that was talking about this who said you know what is really upsetting about this is that a lot of white people are on the black person for not being family oriented. Mm-hmm. He said, well, you ripped us from our families. We're lucky there is family at all right. anymore because of what you've done to our families. Mm-hmm. And, and it really made me think about this whole community concept again and how resilient um, this population in the U.S. had to be. Uh, and the first thing they did when they found freedom here was the first by, thing. By their Where's family. my family? Yep. Yes. By their yeah. family. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So <clears throat> some of the legacies of slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Is this mm-hmm. right. this idea that that um the the other, you know, isn't isn't um you know uh doesn't doesn't under you know doesn't value things the way others do and um which is absolutely just absurd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also uh, assumes that the world should um, adjust to a European notion of family, mm-hmm. uh, patriarchal, whereas a lot of the indigenous people of the continent of Africa were matriarchal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. and, and you still see that strong emphasis in uh, people of African descent here in this country. Uh, it's, it's the matriarch 
political yep. side that really gets emphasized in identifying with one's family. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. One thing that was coming up for me is all of you were talking um, particularly about um, this concept of community and, and this disconnect from our history. Um, we all know that the, the city school district is, is very challenged right now. I mean, that's probably a generous description of the state of the of the state of the school district. And, um, I, you know, when back to what Reggie was saying about, um, you know, teaching Douglas, you know, Brian, you raised it up and, and, and Reggie agreed to, you know, kind of bring Douglas's writing into the school. And I, I started thinking that, um, why that hasn't been thought of yet. It's just beyond me because it, it, um, I, you know, I imagine Brian, um, you know, as you said, you know, the tears are welling up. I imagine some of that is pride. Right. And so it's like, why haven't we raised pride in our community? Because I think it's such a, um, a history to be proud of and people don't, they don't know. Right. And, right. and, um, and, and I think of, um, how the, the, the urban community might be different somehow if people felt pride in it, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and pride in this history that, that we're, we're, uh, proud of and aware of and learning and, you know, trying to engage in dialogue around and imagine if this was happening at every other home, you mm-hmm. know, in this, in this neighborhood and just feeling pride and, and, and where you live, how yeah. that might change things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so much of it has happened here in our backyard. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Right. And, and, and people just remain unaware and, um, it, it, it does boggle the mind though. Why something so simple, like perhaps just teaching our local history, what that might do for, for a young mind and for, you know, um, a, a, a whole community. Yeah. I, I definitely mm-hmm. agree. Um, So uh, this might be a good, uh, I wanted to share, uh, and I haven't told any of you all this yet here in the room, uh, but I, I, in doing this research, I came across a relative. And, and mm. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're related to Frederick Douglass. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. You should have led know. with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should have. Yeah, so, so Reggie shares a passion of uh, a, Looking at uh, and doing ancestry type. Oh yeah, yeah. genealogy, <laughs> genealogy yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, um, there was a guy by the name of William Babcock who mm. is a distant relative, but still a relative. Uh, has to do something with a third grandfather's son, uh, mm. something along those lines. So, uh, he purchased a house in 1895, which at that point was in Rochesterville. It's now in Brighton. And he was attempting to install some modern plumbing on the property when the basement stairs collapsed. (laughs) And what was revealed was a secret room that held up to 12 escaping slaves at a time during the pre-Civil War era. Uh, And the home was really close to the... The home's actually still there. It's really close to the Erie Canal. And it has this big arch brick entrance uh, uh, to a tunnel connected to a neighboring property. Uh, the home is actually called the Moore Babcock Home, and it's uh, in Brighton. 
and uh, William Babcock was friends with Isaac Moore, who um, Isaac Moore was the original uh, builder of the house and was friends with Frederick Douglass. Oh. So there's the wow. fun connection. Connection. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Did you go visit it? I have not been, oh, but I'm yeah. dying to go. Yeah. Drive by. Field yeah. trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> wow. We're, we're so there. <clears throat> yep, well, yep. that's really cool. And I have to say, Brian, when you when you started about him and the plumbing, <laughs> I completely <laughs> <laughs> knew he was your relative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, there are all kinds of fascinating uh, spots like that. Um, the uh, Episcopal Church downtown, uh, St. Luke, St. Simon, has a trap door uh, at their altar was a spot where uh, escaping people were held um, mm-hmm. until they were able, till dark, they were able to make it to the landing that you mentioned, yeah. which is not very far from that church, mm-hmm. uh, and several other homes. Some are marked, most probably are not, and like we said earlier, just the oral history has, the story was no longer told, so we don't, we don't have it. Mm-hmm. I know there are people in the city who are um, always at work trying to, resurrect or retell the story particularly of frederick Douglass, and Mm -hmm. and now we learn more and more about his wife and the role that she played and Mm -hmm. we have a school now named for anna murray Douglass, um who was um uh not literate and um not the orator that her husband was and so she for a long time just kind of got pushed to the background but she the way i understand it was instrumental in working to purchase uh, Frederick's freedom in Maryland mm-hmm. and um, pushed to uh, have them leave. Uh, she had a very successful tailor shop. She was born a free person because her parents had been emancipated. I think that they actually bought their freedom. Some of the border states were, if you allow me to say it, a little, I guess, less rigid and would allow people with skills to save their money and buy the freedom. Um, still a very inhumane system, if you ask me. But her parents had done that, and she grew up a free person in the Baltimore area. And she was a tailor, so all the the gentry there would have her make their suits. She somehow, I say somehow in quotes, acquired a sailor's uniform and got Douglas out of there. Uh, and... I think she also secured papers that said he was a free person mm. and they were able to go to Boston area, got married there. And they came to Rochester, the way I understand the story on their way to Cleveland, but decided, huh, this spot isn't so bad. <laughs> so they never mm. made it to Cleveland. Mm. They ended up uh, traveling from Boston across New York state, um, stayed here a couple of weeks and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. What's interesting though, is that, Douglas didn't go without um, resistance here in Rochester. And we know that eventually his homestead was burned out. And even the original North Star papers were destroyed in the fire. He and his family had to uh, flee Rochester. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story that I've read is that um, a young German girl was uh, sexually assaulted and killed. And... Um, the person accused of the assault was um, an African-American man with uh, limited intellectual ability. Um, 
I don't know, we use terms like autism today or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't know what the case was. But he uh, was arrested. And this was in what they call Germantown, South Avenue area today, mm-hmm. where Douglas's farm actually was. You can imagine South Avenue was mm-hmm. farmland <laughs> at that time. And they, um, a mob of the German residents went to the jail to literally lynch this guy. They didn't want a trial. They didn't want a court hearing. We're just going to take him out and lynch him. And Douglas, with the help, I think, of some white Freemasons, um, were able to get the man out of the jail and take him to the Buffalo jail where he could stand trial. He was uh, found guilty of the crime, but at least he wasn't um, lynched on the spot without uh, some due process of the law. As a result of that, it's my understanding that Douglas was burned out. And that's why we don't have a Frederick Douglass homestead here um, because he was forced to leave. So I don't know if that was a turn of kind of the hostility um, with the abolitionist movement in Rochester. I mean, I just don't know enough about the history, but I found that very interesting that they, uh, you know, burned him out of his home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I can't help but think uh, in all of this uh during this time, you know, I get the sense as we look at it um, historically, we've been able to kind of parse out fact. We've been able to kind of read into some of what we currently think now, um, read that into the history. And I, it just always makes me think, what are we going to say about this time? Uh, uh, 50 to 100 years from now and um, who are the people now that are willing to call out white supremacy uh, hmm. and are willing to um, stand up for justice and, um, and and will that be what's highlighted just like we're highlighting what, what it is we're highlighting here because I, I, hmm. I get the impression that the Underground Railroad and Frederick Douglass and um, a lot of these uh, things that we're discussing probably had some of the same rhetoric around them that we're hearing now um, around some of these same issues. Oh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm sure there were naysayers. I'm sure there were people who resisted the abolitionist movement. Uh, and I don't mean just the people in the Deep South where they were being benefited, but here in, in the North, which also benefited from the the economy of, of the slave industry uh, greatly. Mm-hmm. We've, we've learned that, you know, a number of even Ivy League schools uh, either received money from planters when they sent their sons north to those you know, prestigious schools or they actually, uh, one school, I know we're not naming names, but mm-hmm. actually owned slaves and they sold them uh, when the school got into some financial problems in the D.C. area. And what they've done is extended uh, free tuition to descendants. They actually were able to, with DNA and ancestry, uh, locate some of the descendants and offered um, free tuition, room and board. And I understand one of the 60-year-old descendants starting her degree um, in the D.C. area. So, I mean, it's... Yeah, there were... There's always been resistance in... 
but I think I say that to say to you, there's always been resistance, but there's always been some kind of risk risk takers. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there have always been the Pulse family and the, uh, and others, uh, the the friends and the Unitarians. Um, and, and are you optimistic in that though the risk takers now will be the ones highlighted in history in the future? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, an optimistic person, so I'm hoping. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I do wonder because I, I just I mean, see so much being squashed and so much, <clears throat> uh, even even um, recent history being revised. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. right. I, me, I think of when you ask that question, Brian, I think some of the challenge in current time is that Current racism, as we understand it, as we would call it out, is so misunderstood and demented. And it's kind of like in our last podcast, like Reggie was raising up, people really think that the fact that I don't say the N-word absolves me of you know being racist mm-hmm. and, and will do right. and, and say otherwise some really racist things and just completely not understand and be complicit in the structural racism sure. that they're contributing to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, so I think because the litmus test and, and I agree, I think it absolutely is a litmus test that, you know, I, I don't use the N word, you know, um, I, I think that, that people absolutely don't even understand how they're engaging and, and how, 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 you know, just damaging they are to, to so many people. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I think there's so much education that needs to happen, um, you know, and and on a personal level and, and, you know, so while, while we, we tend to be an individualistic society, we also don't tend to want to own our, you know, ish. (laughs) I don't know if we're cursing on this podcast yet, but you know, I'll like, yeah, Yeah, like we don't, we also don't want to own our shit. Exactly. So, so, um, you know, it's kind of like this weird juxtaposition of, you know, that's not, that's not me. That's, that's not my problem. And, you know, and yet, you know, really kind of engaged in a lot of individualism. And so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm probably, I'll own my cynicism. I think it's so just layered and complex and um, I get really bogged down and, and um, in, you know, the pessimism of what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and also saying too, I also know I don't have all the answers. Right. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so. Well, many people who have been brainwashed uh, by, the constant uh, Fox News narrative and the few people oh, of so color that they have mm-hmm. on Fox News being kind of trotted out and mm-hmm. being what we've called in the past the ruiners. The right. ruiners, <laughs> they are the ruiners. Yes, um, <laughs> but, you know, I think I think that kind of uh, complicates the problem even more. Completely, mm-hmm. completely, because yeah. then they make okay, they make racism okay, mm-hmm. right? Right. So. Or they yeah. make it. They make it in the minds of of many rural whites as a, as a non issue. They just say, "Well, sure. there's no such thing as that. There's reverse racism. And <laughs> yeah. That's worse." And there's just just right. this whole idea of. Um, I mean, I've heard that on oh, Fox certainly. News. I've oh, heard, yeah. I've and, heard black privilege before. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were recently watching Malcolm X, and this idea was being uh, told to Malcolm X. Like, you guys are black supremacists. I mean, there are people saying this to Malcolm X. Of course. Yeah. That's. I mean, this is this is today. This is happening now. Well, yeah. Black Lives Matter is is deemed a terrorist group, right? Mm. Yes. So it's like, and that's got its own complexities. But the point being that the message has been so demented um by by you know people that just um it's yeah it's i i mean i don't i i don't want to move into a space mm-hmm. of name calling and etc yeah, right, but right, but right. but i get that amped up about it and you know that's some of my own work is to not go into that space but it's it's really infuriating that well, yeah and it kind of brings us back around to our initial conversation about um coming to terms and uh, understanding our history because mm-hmm. it seems as though this history continues to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to keep repeating itself until we come face to face with it and address it. And, and Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It, to, to your point, Brian, um, one of the other things that was becoming very vivid to me as I was reading through some of this history is um, particularly about, uh, again, some of Harriet Tubman's work in the Underground Railroad and um, some of the dynamics that were somehow recorded as she was back and forth and people being hunted and the ways in which they were hunted and, um, you know, the way people, black people had to blend in at the shipyards and in the train yards and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And all I could think about was just our modern relationship with the police community. And, you know, yeah. it's the word apartheid comes up. I don't think America is in a full apartheid, but that, you know, the, the combination of all that. But de facto really, one. Yes, yes, <laughs> it really is. It yeah. really is. And that as I was reading that history, I was just said, my God, this is just an extension and a legacy of hunting human beings black bodies that have escaped from slavery right it just yeah like every every time i see a police video and just so you know i won't go too far down that road perhaps that's another discussion for another podcast but mm-hmm. um yeah that that yeah <laughs> people people but we're so yeah. disconnected from that and the fact that in 2019 there is an extension of something that was going on in 18 pre-civil war what are we talking 18 yeah. you know yeah. um i'm not the dates person <laughs> of, yeah, of the group but yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. but but right right yeah. Hmm. yeah i think my biggest pet peeve is the kind of understanding that, that was then this is now and and get over it right and, <laughs> and well and then creating a, a total disconnect to how the institution of slavery and jim crowism uh, have impacted today's life and quality of life for so mm-hmm. many people of color. Mm-hmm. And um, well, every other every other ethnic group is allowed their traditions, right? right. They're allowed their traditions. They're allowed their history. They're allowed their legacies. Um, and somehow ours are seen as as you know a threat. A threat. Yeah. It, it's like somewhere in a continuum of a threat and somehow we're being victims. And and I right. and I think some of that, you know, there's some truth in, in in all of it in terms of we're also not rising up as a community, right? Mm, right. Like we mm. also have not unified and um you know why that is again probably for another discussion. Um but but yeah, we're 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 stuck in it. 
in, in, in many ways. Yeah, what a what a great note to end our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think we I think we are just about out of time and uh, you know, I wanted to say to everybody, if you're listening locally, make sure you go visit Kelsey Landing, the Post House, the Moore Babcock House, any other sites that that uh, are out there. And there's a long list. And maybe we'll actually, maybe we should actually compile a list of. We should. Stuff. And I was yes. going to ask both of you, like all of you, really, you guys brought in some really compelling and, and interesting history. And maybe we can even make some notes on our podcast page Absolutely. about where you guys um, found some of some of your research. And um, that might be helpful for some of our listeners. Sure. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, I, I hope everybody's enjoyed this, and thank you for bearing with us as this is our second podcast that we have ever done. And we want to thank our producer, Kristen. Yay, and Kristen. we Kristen. want to encourage everybody to find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast provider is. And thank everybody who's listening for being a friend of a friend. Thank you for listening to A Friend of a Friend. Check us out on Google Podcasts or iTunes. We'll see you next time. What is it that we're talking about? Underground Railroad. Oh, yeah. Let's say I guess that wine did me right.